Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Did you have a good Easter? I hope you did. Thanks for all the kind feedback about the Good Friday show. Wasn't expecting all of that. I sure appreciate it. Welcome. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program today, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, we've got a, there's actually raw political news we're going to have to get to today at some point, but let me give you the hopeful news. The CDC director was on the Today Show just a short time ago and said he does believe we may very well be uh, crossing uh, over into a decline of coronavirus cases in the United States, which is good news. Uh, there's been a lot of concern as to when we would hit that peak. Uh, in Georgia, they continue mobilization efforts around the state to beef up hospital capacity. They don't actually think we're going to exceed uh, hospital beds in the state. They are concerned, however, about uh, ICU cases and the number of people who might need ICU cases or ICU beds rather. And so they continue to uh, try to meet goals in the state. They're converting the Georgia uh, World Congress Center, for example, into an emergency hospital care facility for those who have mild to moderate symptoms of COVID-19 so that the critical patients can actually be in actual hospitals. Around the country, we're starting to see, though, that some of the places that have gone in and done these things uh, actually have not met the capacity enough to need them, which is good news that one of the, the one area where they are exceeding capacity is New York City. New York City is still a very serious problem. We will get to that problem and that situation because things are just not looking good there. And the media would try to blame Donald Trump for that, and it's not his fault. Real quick, Congress is going to be debating uh, a new package for small businesses. The, the Democrats want to add funding for local governments and hospitals as well. Tax revenue starting to dry up in some local areas, becoming a crisis. They want Congress to fund that and hospitals as well. Who knows what else they want to throw in there. Uh, but uh, the, what the Republicans want to do is is to expand the caps, take the lid off the caps in some cases, the the payroll protection program essentially allowing more small businesses into the payroll protection program. Uh, one of the sponsors of this program is First Liberty of Georgia, firstlibertyga.com. Uh, if you want to get into the payroll protection program, I, I do recommend them. One of the things we're seeing nationwide is larger banks, because of the capitalization rules on large banks these days, a lot of them don't want to help small businesses. It messes up their capitalization. So a lot of a lot of small businesses use major banks in this country for their checking and their savings for their payroll. But these banks don't want to help them with loans, even though they've been longtime customers. The major banks in the country don't want to help these small businesses with loans because there is still a risk of bankruptcy. In fact, they're expecting now projections are more bankruptcies in this country uh, than we saw during the the Great Recession in 2008 after the, the financial crisis. And so big banks are stepping away. So uh, the advice I've got from multiple people is if you're a small business, go to a credit union or a smaller bank that's willing to uh, do big business with you as opposed to a big bank that's only willing to do small business with you. Uh, First Liberty of Georgia is one of those. If if you need payroll protection, I do recommend them. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. Um, But that's a larger financial issue. Congress is now wanting to reexamine the capitalization of the large banks because of this situation, because they don't want to actually engage with, they're perfectly happy to take a small business's checking account, but they don't want to lend them money because they're afraid of the bankruptcy potential of a small business. So again, uh, go find a smaller bank that's willing to do business with you in terms of loans 
build a relationship with a smaller bank. Now, on top of everything else that's going on with that, uh, we've got the the Democrats moving into the argument that if Hillary Clinton were president, this would not have happened. I want to get there, but first, two things. One, major storm damage in the state of Georgia overnight. At least five people dead up in Murray County, uh, just south of Chattanooga, Ringgold, and Fort Oglethorpe, seriously uh, damaged uh, here in middle Georgia. Uh, those of you who know where Zebulon Road is in middle Georgia, the, the Walmart, the Walgreens, the, the Kroger, all impacted. It looks like stoplights, the wind was so strong. They're not saying tornado yet, although in Upson County, Georgia, it appears there was a tornado. Uh, but in, in, in the, the North Macon area, it looks like stoplights, the wind blew the stoplights off the line and they landed, uh, went through the roof of the local Walgreens. Uh, that's that's what we're dealing with around the state right now. It's just a very messy situation with the storms uh, that have blown through. The storms mostly now are all the way over into far east Georgia, moving up into upstate South Carolina. Uh, There have been tornadoes this morning in Greenville, South Carolina. It looks like now they're blowing off into the Hilton Head area. Uh, Severe thunderstorm warnings along the coast down in Brunswick, Darien, um, St. Mary's, It looks like Waycross and Blackshear are just getting through them, but some very serious storms down there now into Florida. There is a flash flood warning along the Flint River uh, in the Americas area. Um, So you got to be careful if you're down in that area. Everything else looking clear right now, but it is a mess out there on the roads. Uh, Six dead now, it looks like, in North Georgia. Thousands in the dark. Uh, Schools across Georgia opening late today as parents sleep in and begin homeschooling. Maybe today. Maybe they'll put off homeschooling tomorrow. (laughs) Um, Prayers for those of you who've had damage. We didn't have any at our house, but we've got several friends who've had trees uh, topple over on their their houses. Uh, One other thing to follow up on. Real quick, um, so today is Easter Monday, which isn't actually celebrated in the United States so much as it is continued to be a holiday in Europe, much like Boxing Day the day after Christmas is a bank holiday in Great Britain. Uh, It is a, the Easter Monday is not a holiday we celebrate in this country. But I want to just tell you, I have been overwhelmed with the feedback from people about the Good Friday show. I, I, I got a little bit of blowback originally from some folks about doing it on this radio program and decided I was going to do it anyway. And the, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive since then. Uh, I've gotten a lot of kind emails, direct messages on Instagram and Twitter from people. And I do appreciate it. And, and I just want to reiterate for you, we, we, don't, we don't know the future. We have no idea what the future holds, but, but I am convinced that there is a plan. I, I saw a local guy in the, in the newspaper who is, is struggling with this. And he says he, he just he can't fathom why there would be a global pandemic if if God is a benevolent God. You know, God is good, but I think we confuse benevolence and goodness. Uh, does it mean bad things won't happen? God is good. God does not necessarily send pandemic, but I got to tell you, your theology needs to have it in there because in the Old Testament, it's very clear uh, that God will send plague and and war to cause people to repent, to draw people back to him. And if you don't have a theology that accounts for that, if, if the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament, 
you got to have a theology that accounts for a pandemic. You got to have a theology that accounts for war. Uh, and, and you can't just chalk it all up to Satan either, because the, the Bible is very clear. God will bring a pandemic. God will bring plague. He will bring soldiers. He, he will level a town. Doesn't mean he's bad. Doesn't mean he's evil. It means he's trying to send you some messages in ways you might understand that, hey, maybe it's time to, to get back my focus on him. Uh, and there, there's your moral of the story today. Uh, but thank you very much for the feedback. I very much appreciate it. I uh, was really overwhelmed with it. Uh, and now it's, it's time to move on. If you want the podcast of the show, I did wind up putting it up. We do have to strip all the music out, as I mentioned on Friday, uh, because of copyright licensing rules. But you can text the word show to 33777, get a copy of the Good Friday show. Now, the Democrats are ensuring they never want to let a crisis go to waste. Over the weekend, uh, they were all filling up the Sunday shows, and you will you will never believe. Well, actually, you will. That uh, well, here let's let's just here's Tom Friedman. But, but let's talk about. I mean, the people, the the group making minimum wage. I'm talking about the heroes, the people who are stocking the shelves, the people who are cleaning the hospitals, maybe the folks who are driving public uh, transportation. Do you think the minimum wage or uh, conversations about health benefits? changes because of this crisis? I, I think it, it radically changes. Um, coming out of this, I mean, now thinking about the 2020 election, it's pretty clear where Biden's going to be. And, that, and that's going to be um, for some kind of pathway to universal health care, uh, beginning probably with um, extending and improving Obamacare and, inc and including a public option. I can't imagine that not being part of the Democratic agenda. And I think Republicans will be very vulnerable if they can't provide some kind of pathway to universal health care as well. Um, uh, I think that's just a basic necessity. Um, and also some kind of, uh, uh, obviously, leave, uh, uh, health care leave for people. Um, and also just protection for uh, these healthcare workers. The fact that they don't have uh, uh, people to take care of their kids at home right now, while we're asking them to work these incredible hours, all of those are gonna be, have to be part of a new package of what I would call resilience uh, for the next pandemic and, and frankly for climate change. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, see, th this gets to the point I was making several times last week. That in, in the face of global pandemic, when you conform everything to everything you always believed and everything you always believed is still right, uh, that says more about you than anything else. When, when you come in and you say, well, this is just proof we need universal health care, we need a living wage, not we need to increase the minimum wage, uh, we need to deal with climate change, we need to do all of these things, that, that actually says way more about you than it does anything else. It, it says way more about you than the policies. When you come into a crisis, here, here's the thing anyone who's ever been to business school comes away from. And I haven't, but I know plenty of people who've been to business school. You prepare for crises. But when you go through the crisis, you learn things in the crisis you did not know before. Donald Rumsfeld, when he was Secretary of Defense uh, during the Bush administration, used to talk about the known knowns, the known unknowns, the unknown knowns, and the unknown unknowns. Now, it sounded somewhat uh, poetic the way he talked about it, but there were things you knew, and there were things you knew you did not know. There were things you knew that you did not realize you knew, and there were things you did not know that you didn't know you didn't know. 
there were things you knew that you did not know. For example, were other countries helping the bad guys that we didn't know about? We, we, we knew we didn't know this stuff. Uh, we knew we knew certain things about supply chains. We knew we knew certain things about Afghanistan. What other things did we not know we didn't know? There, there were things you go into and you have no idea what they are going in that you need to know that you wish you knew, but there were things you never even thought of. And there are things that you you got in there, you didn't even think of them, you didn't know you know them, and you got in, it's like, oh yeah, I knew that. You come out on the other side of a crisis different. You come out on the other side of a crisis knowing things you didn't know before. And so if, if all of your worldview and everything you knew and thought before the crisis doesn't change after the crisis, it doesn't mean you're right because you're never that right. It means that you're dogmatic in your beliefs. And you yourself would run into problems with the crisis if you had to handle it. It's very much like what we're seeing with the media. The media wants the president to have done more. Back on January 30th, CNN ran a story with a picture of the president's uh, global pandemic task force and contrasted it with the one Barack Obama put together and noted it was basically all white men for, for Donald Trump. A super unserious story. When the virus began to spread, the media was calling it the Wuhan virus or the Wuhan coronavirus or the Chinese virus. And then when the president closed off travel with China, the media claimed xenophobia. It was racist for the president to do it. And it was the president trying to look leaderly. And now suddenly it's all the president's fault. It's all the president's fault the virus is here. It, it, it's, it's orange man bad all over again. The media itself, the press, cannot bring themselves to change. You know, it's very much like on the right now, there's this movement to oust Dr. Fauci. Because they, they believe it's not that they believe that he is undermining the president. It's that they believe the president is listening to him and they wish that the president would stop listening to him. So any instance they think uh, where they can show disloyalty, they're amplifying it. For example, Fauci was on Jake Tapper over the weekend and suggested we'll get to this audio in a little bit, suggested that, yes, in fact, perhaps uh, we could have done things sooner and that would have stopped life. But he made the the the. The issue, again, that hindsight is twenty twenty. There are always things you could do different in crisis that you didn't realize at the time. And yet people on the right are playing that up to try to destroy him because they want the president to open the country tomorrow, which 80% of the country disagrees with. But there are some some a, a growing chorus of people on my side of the aisle who are trying to undermine the experts because they have read Wikipedia articles and they've decided they're the experts. On the left and in the press, more and more the same thing, they're trying to play gotcha with the president on things he could have done in January and February, things that the media themselves were not prepared to do, things the media themselves did not know at the time. Uh, at a time, remember, it was the week before St. Patrick's Day, Bill de Blasio in New York was still telling people to get in the streets and go, go celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Somehow that's the president's fault now. You know, it really is amazing the infatuation the media has with Andrew Cuomo when increasingly it looks like Cuomo screwed up big time and de Blasio did as well. Uh, when you contrast them with other Democratic governors who clamp down even quicker, we'll get into all of that. But when we come back, the historic revisionism of the Democrats, they, they now want to claim that were Hillary Clinton president, we would never have seen COVID-19 
inter-American territory. I had several people over the weekend send me Facebook messages. Well, yeah, two on Facebook and then several just tweets. They, they tagged me on the tweets of, of Discovery Mrs. Griffin's Barbecue Sauce, uh, our new sponsor. Uh, definitely please check them out. They're at your local grocery store. Uh, they're at Walmart. They're at, at uh, any of the Piggly Wigglies. The, all over the place you can find Mrs. Griffin's Barbecue Sauce. We keep it at our house. We actually do use it at our house. Highly recommend it. They're the oldest uh, barbecue sauce in the nation in production uh, for commercial distribution for, at retail for you. Uh, that means they're that good. Uh, they've been around that long. So check them out, Mrs. Griffins. If you go to mrsgriffins.com, which is their website, you can uh, buy two and get a third one for free. Good barbecue sauce. Really is Mustard Bay, South Georgia, uh, old family recipe. Just highly recommend them. And it was great to actually see people. Wasn't expecting that to see people tag me in pictures over the weekend uh, with Mrs. Griffins. Now, did you know that there exists a this is so okay not 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 to get back to the good friday show but you know uh, if you're a christian uh, you, you know that it, what was there before the big bang the answer is god god was there before the big bang and if if you if you're not it, you've got all sorts of theories and and the prevailing theory in the comic book world and and it's one of the theories in in some bits of theoretical physics is is the multiverse there are universe after universe after universe. now now what came before the universe is no idea where how did the universe get created no idea but there are multiverses uh, you you get this when you watch some of the 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 comic book TV shows and stuff. The multiverse. You get this with the Spider Verse, the, the the great Spider Man animated movie that came out last year. Great movie of of a multiverse. There are multiple universes in which you exist, multiple parallel universes, and you exist in all of them in different ways and different styles. Well, in the multiverse, there is a universe in which Hillary Clinton got elected president of the United States. And, and Chris Murphy, the senator from Connecticut, wants to assure us that COVID-19 was preventable. We could prevent the spread of COVID-19 in the United States. All I can think is that like the Colossus of Rhodes, Hillary Clinton would have straddled the United States yelling about Jeffrey Epstein, look at what happened to him. And COVID-19 would quake in its little microscopic boots and not come to the United States. It would spread all over the planet Earth. But here in the United States, it would not want to suffer the fate of Jeffrey Epstein. And so it would not come here as long as Hillary Clinton straddled the United States. I, I, I'm sorry, folks. But one, I don't want to live in that universe. And two, it's just not possible. Uh, it is, it's very clear that the Chinese kept this under the rug for so long and engaged in cover-up of the extent of it. And so by the time the Chinese lost control of it, there was nothing anyone in the world could do. In fact, the New York Times has a story out last week that despite the president closing travel with China, it, New York was infiltrated from flights from Europe. I mean, let's remember how Georgia got its first case in the metro Atlanta area. It was a man who flew back from Milan, and then subsequently others coming back from Europe carried it with them. And we had a preacher in South Georgia who somehow got infected and, and preached a funeral there, and he spread it through Doherty County. We'll get into those numbers when we come back, by the way. But this this revisionist idea that somehow if Hillary Clinton were elected, none of this would have been a problem and all of this would have gone away is simply not true. And yet the Democrats want you to believe it. Uh, because they cannot change the paradigms 
in how politics is conducted in this country or in how the world conducts itself today in light of a global pandemic. Uh, neither side, it seems like the left nor the right, wants to acknowledge that this pandemic has fundamentally reshaped things. About the only person willing to do that is a guy named Donald Trump. Uh, and it's it's profound to see this this theory shaping up on the left that Hillary Clinton could have prevented a viral spread. Okay, y'all, y'all, y'all can experience this with me. I've got it set up so we can do this together. Uh, so I've got a, a temperature probe outside on our side porch uh, here in, in middle Georgia, and I had to go turn the air down just to get some air circulating in the studio because, I mean, I can move my, my arm in the studio and it's just muggy. So here, hey, Siri, what's the temperature on the side porch? The side porch temperature in your Waverly Point home is 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Hey, Siri, what's the humidity on the side porch? Humidity in the side porch is high at 94.8%. There you go. 94.8% humidity. It is gross outside. Blue sky, though. Blue sky here in the middle. Blue sky across the state of Georgia now. The storms have moved out, uh, leaving uh, just destruction in their path. Uh, it is just, it's a mess. Uh, there's also some breaking news happening right now. We need to know about the U S Navy is just now confirming that a sailor who tested positive for COVID-19 on the USS Theodore Roosevelt has died of the coronavirus. Um, that ship still dealing with the situation. They were able to evacuate some of the sailors, but, uh, the first fatality of those sailors from the virus. Now, one of the things we're dealing with in this country right now is the idea that Hillary Clinton could have somehow stopped this. Chris Murphy, I mentioned before going into break, tweeted that this was a preventable preventable situation. The virus did not have to come here or some such. That's not actually true. That's not actually true. China, we now know, covered up data about the virus. China, we now know, um, did not forthrightly explain the extent of the virus, where the virus came from, what the virus was, or or, or anything in that matter. Uh, It is very clear that the Chinese cover things up, and they did so with the World Health Organization. Now, now here's the World Health Organization's um, uh, executive director, Nabarro, talking about China. We really do have to work with the information we get. We don't have in the World Health Organization the power to go and inspect beyond what countries tell us. That's been made clear in the treaty that governments agreed in 2005 on how nations work together and how the WHO operates. But I say this, that they did invite a team pulled together by the World Health Organization to come and inspect everything in mid-February. There were no restrictions on what that team investigated. It included American experts as well as experts from others in the world. Uh, Yeah, trying to say, oh, well, American experts do, except, except, except. Here's Scott Gottlieb, who was the former FDA chair under Obama, who's been actually a very reasonable voice in this. The president raised a lot of valid concerns. Uh, China was not truthful with the world at the outset of this. Had they been more truthful with the world, which would have enabled them to be more truthful with themselves, they might have actually been able to contain this entirely. Uh, And there is some growing evidence to suggest that. As late as January 20th, they were still saying that there was no human-to-human transmission, and the 
WHO is validating those claims on January 14th, sort of enabling the obfuscation from China. I think going forward, the WHO needs to commit to an after-action report that specifically examines what China did or didn't tell the world and how that stymied the global response to this. I also think they need to embrace Taiwan's role in the global health community and allow them to attend the World Health Assembly. Right now, they've frozen China out, the WHO has, at sort of the behest of China. And that's hampered the global response because China's been a very important partner. To give you just one more anecdote, China didn't share the viral strains, and right. the WHO should have made them do that. Had they shared those early on, we could have developed a diagnostic test earlier, validated it earlier. Yeah, it's amazing how much of the media would much prefer to blame Donald Trump, though. Here's Dr. Fauci. You know, I don't know where the missteps went. The only thing I know what the end result was that early on, we did not get correct information. And the incorrect information was propagated right from the beginning because, you know, when the first cases came out that were identified, I think on December 31st in China, and we became aware of this, they said this was just animal to human, period. Uh, now we know retrospectively that there was ongoing transmission from human to human in China probably at least a right. few weeks before then. And then when we finally did get right. the virus here, it was became clear that when we started looking at what was going on, that that was misinformation right from the beginning. So whose ever fault that was, you know, we're going to go back and take a look at that when this is all over. But clearly it was sure. not the right information that was given to us. And that's really important here for the, the, the woulda, shoulda, coulda. Makes a very important point because the, the media position is that the president should have been doing things in January to get the nation prepared. But listen to the timeline again. Listen to his dates. You know, I don't know where the missteps went. The only thing I know what the end result was that early on we did not get correct information. And the incorrect information was propagated right from the beginning because, you know, when the first cases came out that were identified, I think on December 31st in China, and we became aware of this, they said this was just animal to human, period. Uh, now we know retrospectively that there was ongoing transmission from human to human in China probably at least a right. few weeks before then. And then when we finally did get right. the virus here, it was became clear that when we started looking at what was going on, that that was misinformation right from the beginning. Yeah. When did we get the virus here? January 30th. The day that CNN was blasting the president for having an all-white panel of physicians advising him, we got our first case of the coronavirus here. By then, person-to-person -person transmission was happening, and it was not until the middle of January that China began to acknowledge that as a situation. But somehow or another, if Hillary Clinton were president, they would have made the situation better. I, I, I want a positive theory, and I know the partisans will say it's because I'm a partisan. But I'm going to throw this out there anyway. I actually believe that were Hillary Clinton president, the situation would be worse. Now, if you're a partisan, you immediately, on, on the left, you think, well, he's only saying that because he's a Republican, he hates Hillary Clinton. And if you're on the right, you're, you're saying that because you hate Hillary Clinton. But why? why? Why would I say such a thing? Let me, let, me, let me break this down for you. 
One of the reasons a number of state governors responded as quickly as they did when the virus began to spread in Washington and California and elsewhere is because they hate Donald Trump. And they believe Donald Trump is completely incompetent. And so they acted because they acted on a belief that Trump is incompetent and would screw things up so they better act. If Hillary Clinton were president of the United States, do you think she would have shut down air travel with China when Trump did? Do you think she would have shut down travel with Europe, with our European allies? Do you think she would have done that? Because they were blasting the president for doing so on the left. And do, do you think that the governors of, of these states who distrusted Donald Trump and decided they needed to step up and act, do you think they would step up and act uh, if they thought Hillary Clinton was in charge? If they thought Hillary Clinton was in charge, they say, let the feds handle it. The feds have got this. The feds have got it. We don't need to do anything. We'll take direction from Hillary. Look at Benghazi and tell me that she would have done a better job. And I don't mean that for the partisan hit point on Benghazi, but seriously, she was the Secretary of State, and that was just a disaster. And you've got these Democratic governors who hate the president, who responded rapidly because they thought the president was too incompetent to move forward, and they would need to handle it. And by the way, it's the role of the governors anyway to do. But they would have not done so were Hillary president because they would have said, she's in charge here. Let's make her look good as opposed to let's make Donald Trump look bad. And so the virus would have spread more. She would not have shut down travel with China, more likely than not. She certainly wouldn't have shut down travel with Europe. And by the way, we do know that the virus in New York City was spreading in February, seeding the population, and that's why New York City is having problems now. Hillary Clinton would not have responded by shutting down travel to New York City. She and de Blasio and and Cuomo would have been buddy-buddy on this. By the way, is it any wonder, Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington, not a big fan of his or of Gavin Newsom in California, but they expanded, expanded um, they reacted very aggressively, expanded shelter in place very quickly, shut their states down and took very aggressive and decisive action to stop the spread of the virus. And both states now have largely contained it and are starting to see it recede as opposed to New York where Andrew Cuomo waited a very long time before ordering shelter in place. He waited a very long time before shutting down schools. And do you know it was this past week that Bill de Blasio finally said schools aren't going to reopen this year? Brian Kemp in Georgia beat de Blasio to shutting down schools for the year. And yet the media would have you believe that that, uh, Brian Kemp is somehow incompetent and de Blasio is is hunky-dory okay. There's so much partisanship in how the media has covered this stuff. And, you know, credit to Dr. Fauci, who was asked about this on Jake Tapper, the the South Korea comparisons. Listen to this. South Korea and the U.S. announced uh, their first confirmed coronavirus cases at at virtually the same time in late January. If you take a look at where we are right now in the U.S., the U.S. now has 50 times more cases and almost 100 times more fatalities than South Korea Uh, Meanwhile, while the U.S. makes up only about 4.25% of the world's population, the U.S. has 30% of the world's reported coronavirus cases and almost 20% of the reported coronavirus deaths. Sanjay Gupta said that's this is all because we got started too late in the U.S. Is that right? Do you agree? You know, it isn't as simple as that, uh, Jake. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, 
to just say this is all happening because we got started too late. Obviously, if you look, could you have done something a little bit earlier? Would it have had an impact? Obviously, but where we are right now is the result of a number of factors. The size of the country, the heterogeneity of the country. It's, I think it's a little bit unfair to compare us to South Korea, where they had an outbreak in Daegu and they had the capability of immediately, essentially shutting it off completely in a way that we may not have been able to do in this country. So obviously, I would have been nice if we had a better head start. But I don't think you could say that we are where we are right now because of one factor. It's very complicated, Jake. Yes, it is very complicated. And yet the media would like to make it very, very, very simple. The media would like to make it very, very simple. Blame Donald Trump. The media would like to make it all about the president, not about everything else, not about a global response. You know, one of the things that's striking to me is how every country on planet Earth is having the same problem. I mean, per capita deaths, the United States, and by the way, you know, the media keeps looking at the total number of deaths in the United States. They want to look at per capita everything except number of deaths. Per capita, how the virus affects per thousand people, the United States is is doing head and shoulders above most of the world. Italy is far worse. Great Britain is far worse. France is far worse. Iceland is the worst. I thought it was very notable a couple of weeks ago. I don't, I don't know if I still have the audio. I wanted to play it. Let's see. I, I, I may still have the audio. A couple of weeks ago, MSNBC trotted out a guy to praise Iceland's handling of the COVID-19 response. And basically saying that had we been like Iceland, we would be way better off. Had we been like Iceland, their response was competent. Had we been like Iceland, we would have been able to stem the tide of the virus instead of letting it spread. But you know what? Per capita, Iceland, by the way, has a population less than Wyoming. But per capita, per capita, Iceland is doing worse than everybody. Iceland now has more viruses per thousand people than any place on the planet. And yet, according to MSNBC, had we been more like Iceland because Iceland's had so few deaths? Well, because nobody lives in Iceland. And, and the the level of derangement from members of the media over this, you know, you know, Charlie, my producer, and I, we were joking the other day that he and I, we could essentially do this show every day just about the media. We don't want to do it just about the media. There's plenty of other news out there, but the media has been so egregious and so bad in what it has done, in, in how it has handled this, how it has tried to make this partisan affair. You know, there are things that the president could have done better for sure, but we ignore in the process that a lot of the information the president had was coming through China and a lot of that information was wrong. In in hindsight, when you get through a crisis, everybody, you realize, oh, I could have done that differently. But you don't know until you get through the crisis. The level of sniping from the media right now about the president and what he could or could not have done, I, I don't disagree. There were things the president could have done differently. There are things we all could have done differently. There are things Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio could have done differently, but the media is not interested in that. It is fascinating that in, in the the uh, universe of media exposure, Andrew Cuomo is right there. He gets fawning interviews on CNN with his brother. The media praises them, and yet there are Democratic governors who handled it far more competently than he did, but they're not at the nexus of the media and the left, and so they don't get that attention. They don't get fawning coverage with their brothers on CNN. 
it's all about blaming the president for them. The president is not above being blamed for things. But most of that blame, you have to admit, comes in hindsight. And we do need to acknowledge that up until the middle to end of January, as the virus was already running rampant and spreading all over the world, China was still lying about it. And much of our information was coming from the World Health Organization, which in turn was getting its information from China while also shutting out Taiwan, which was raising the red flag. Let's be clear here that everybody could have done things differently, but by and large, when the president was taking decisive action to stop travel with China, the media was attacking him as being a racist xenophobe who had too many white people he was listening to. It is Eric Erickson here. And remember, you can get all the information about uh, the, the the spread of the virus, how the virus is spreading, uh, the projections for the virus, the IHME modeling, uh, information on the payroll protection plan, uh, how to get in touch with First Liberty of Georgia if you want to use them for the payroll protection plan and the like. Uh, you can go to uh, text DATA to 33777 to get that. Text DATA to 33777 to get that. Real quick here, it is humorous to me, and I I, I got to say humorous because I don't know any other way to look at it, that as I mentioned earlier, the left is using this crisis to confirm all of their priors, uh, and their priors being that, that we need some sort of expansive socialism in this country to solve all of our problems, a universal health care. Uh, are they seeing... What's happening in Great Britain? Hospitals in Great Britain are overwhelmed. In fact, more people are dying in European countries per capita than in this country. But it's not only that. Uh, in those countries, their hospital systems are way over taxed. The, the hospitals in European countries are on the verge of collapse. They're out of supplies, too. You know, it's it's just, it's the fascinating thing to me. And I know I sound like a broken record saying this, but the global response to COVID-19 is remarkably similar regardless of the country. So for people in the left in this country to claim that the president somehow or another uh, should have done things differently back in January is to suggest that other countries did better and they didn't. I mean, at least this president was taking, to, imagine if Italy, had shut down travel with Wuhan, China. Italy, northern Italy, had direct flights to Wuhan, China because there were leather manufacturers and others in northern Italy who had outsourced labor to the Chinese who were in northern Italy working in the factories in a deal with China with direct flights back and forth. That's why Italy got hit so bad. The media doesn't want to talk about that. Because to talk about that is to suggest the president was smart to shut down travel with China at a time the media was attacking him for xenophobia and racism. Are there things that this president could have done differently? As a matter of intellectual honesty, we should acknowledge that, yes. One, we should not have relied on China. This is a president who doesn't trust China. There was no reason to trust them, trust them on this either. Two, the president could have, could have, started getting our medical capacities in line to make masks and things like that towards the end of January. The president could have worked with governors to get hospitals 
prepared in ways that they were not. But let's also keep in perspective for the the idea that the president could have shut down the country in, in February. I mean, that that was one of the things Jake Tapper asked. Yes, the president could have shut down the country in February. We could have gone to shelter in place in February, except the president doesn't have the power to do that. The president has never had the power to do that. And it's funny to see the reaction from the media that thinks the president should have done these things and the president didn't have the right to do them. And remember the reaction when the president said, maybe we do need to quarantine New York. They said, oh, you can't quarantine New York. You don't have that power. And now they're out there, the very same members of the press, Don Lemon on CNN is an example of this, demanding the president should have done all these things sooner is now out there saying, you don't have the power to open up the government. It's the governors who do. Well, then isn't that an express tacit admission that the president did not have the power to shut it down either? Everybody dealing with this crisis is just confirming their priors. Now, when we come back, I want to go through the audit trail in Georgia. Where's the virus? How many cases are there county by county? And also the war on churches that this is revealing. You, you know, the left is coming for Jack Phillips again. The baker out in Colorado, who is the Christian baker, went before the Supreme Court. They protected him. Uh, they've come back. They're, they're trying to shut him down again. He's going to have to go back to court in the middle of this pandemic because he would not bake a cake for a gender transition surgery. And now transgender activists are hauling the guy into court. And also the mask law in Georgia. It's against the law to wear a mask in public. Some Democrats want the governor to get rid of that law. I'll explain the details when we come back here on The Eric Erickson Show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. Welcome this fine blue sky morning here in Georgia after a horrible night. Uh, Damage across the state, at least six people dead in North Georgia from the storms. Uh, Damage assessments coming in from South Georgia. Now the storm blew through there this morning, uh, lingering in, in parts along the coast, the Brunswick area still in the middle of the storm, uh, but the rest of the state cleared out and just just destructive around the state of Georgia. Um, in we, we will, the governor, in addition to having to deal with now the, the virus, is having to deal with that as well. We'll get to that, but right now I, I really want to begin uh, by going into the, the totals in the state as the numbers have shifted, although there is some bit of hope. And, you know, if you text data to 33777, you'll get back a link to my Substack page uh, where I've been doing a regular newsletter. And one of the things that I've been doing as part of that regular newsletter is compiling all of the useful COVID-19 information links. If you text data to 33777, you go straight to that post and you'll find the Johns Hopkins Global Dashboard. You'll find the uh, U.S., uh, the tracking by state, the uh, county by county totals here in Georgia, the projections as well. I want to look at the projections. I have it thus far. Uh, It looks like uh, we have crossed the peak. In the United States, we have crossed the peak according to the IHME model. It was April 11th, my sister Leafy's birthday. Uh, there was a, a there is a bed shortage of 1,697 beds uh, and an ICU bed shortage of 8,018 beds, except we were able to meet all of those. We were able to meet all of those, and that is a good thing. Uh, now, the rest of this. Uh, the COVID-19 projection is now assuming full show social distancing through May 20th to get these projections. What about the United States? Let's go to Georgia. 
in Georgia, it has shifted now, and and this is relevant. Uh, it has shifted. They were saying that the peak would be April 24th. They moved to say the peak would be April 20th, and now they're saying the peak will be April 26th. Uh, but uh, we will not need, uh, there will not be a shortage of hospital beds in the state of Georgia. The number's gone up by about 1,000 from 4,400 to 5,400 total hospital beds needed. And there will be an ICU bed shortage of about 459. They continue to project it again, though. It is a projection. It is just a projection. It is subject to change. Uh, and it had originally suggested the peak would be uh, April 24th, they moved it back to April 20th, and now they've advanced it to April 26th. What does it actually look like in the state of Georgia? Well, there are 12,550 cases right now, 2,518 hospitalizations, 442 deaths. To put that in perspective, 20% hospitalization rate for those who get the virus and a 3.5% mortality rate. That is in line with essentially the non-China global average. What I mean by the non-China, non actually non-China, non-Italy global average. If you take out Italy, which was the hardest hit, and the Chinese who lied, you get about a 20% hospitalization rate and a 3.5% death rate. That is worse than the Spanish flu of 1918. Now, let me give you the numbers. Uh, and and there's no reason. Let me, let me just make sure. Hang on. I want to check. Are there counties? I haven't pulled up the map. Are there counties that have yet to be impacted uh, by the virus in Georgia? I suspect there may be. Yep, there are four left. Uh, there's Talifer, there's Glasscock, there is Montgomery and Evans County. Those are south of I-16, Glasscock and uh, Talifer, uh, right around I-20. They have not been impacted. And the, the, the issue is they probably have it, uh, but there is a testing delay. So those are the last four holdouts. Uh, there's no reason to go through every county, but let me, let me give you a sense of it here. 1,495 cases in Fulton County and 50 deaths. 1,178 cases and 72 deaths in Darty County, 893 cases and 14 deaths in DeKalb County, 728 cases and 35 deaths in Cobb County, 701 cases, 19 deaths in Gwinnett, 372 cases, 11 deaths in Clayton County, 282 cases, no deaths in Hall County, 263 cases, 3 deaths in, in Henry County, 244 cases, 15 deaths in Lee County, 239 cases and 9 deaths in Sumter County, 213 cases, 16 deaths in Bartow County, 210 cases and 5 deaths in Carroll County, 187 cases and 7 deaths in Cherokee County, 159 cases and 5 deaths in Douglas County, 156 cases and 4 deaths in Muskogee County, 148 cases and 5 deaths in Chatham County, 144 de cases and 4 deaths in Richmond, 138 cases, 14 deaths in Mitchell, uh, and then the only other, uh, there are two more counties with double digit death rates. Those are Terrell County has 109 cases and 10 deaths and Clark County. That's the Athens area, 84 cases and 11 deaths. Uh, everybody else in single digits here. Let me give you the totals though, without the deaths, the totals per county. 1,495 Fulton, 1,178 Darty, 893 DeKalb, 728 Cobb, 701 Gwinnett, 372 Clayton, 
280 to Hall, 263 Henry, 244 Lee, 239 Sumter, 213 Bartow, 210 Carroll, 187 Cherokee, 159 Douglas, 156 Muskogee, 148 Chatham, 144 Richmond, 138 Mitchell, 133 Forsyth, 125 Early, 121 Houston, 111 Randolph, 109 Terrell, 108 Floyd, 106 Coweta, 100 Fayette, 97 Rockdale, 9, uh, 87 Colquitt, 87 uh, Worth, 84 Clark, 84 Paulding, 82 Newton, 77 Thomas, 73 Spalding, 70 in Bibb with one death. That's where I am. 69 in Columbia Crisp, 60 in Troop, 59 in Lowndes and Tiff, 58 in Coffee, 56 in Upson, 55 in Barrow, 54 Ware, 53 Baldwin, 45 Calhoun, 45 Pierce, 44 Dooley, 42 Walton, 38 Gordon and Oconee, 37 Turner, 34 Lawrence, 33 Glenn, 29 Brian Butts and Decatur, 28 Burke, 27 Jackson, 26 and Dawson Green, 25 Polk, 24 Whitfield, 24 Wilcox, 23 Macon, McDuffie, Merriweather and Peach, 22 Effingham and Washington, 21 in Camden, 20 Harris, 19 in Brooks and Johnson, 17 in Bullock, Lamar and Liberty and Stevens, 16 in Clay, Harrelson and Pike, 15 in Grady and Seminole, 14 in Bacon, Baker, Habersham, Morgan, and Murray. 13 in Catoosa and Judge. 12 in Jones, Monroe, Oglethorpe, Sly. 11 in Irwin, Miller, Pickens, Tombs, White, and Wilkinson. 10 in Appling, Madison, and Marion. 9 in Fanning, Jenkins, Lincoln, Lumpkin, Pulaski, Talbot, Telfair. 8 in Ben Hill, Brantley, Emmanuel, Jasper. 7 in Banks, Chattooga, Cook, Gilmer, Screven, Stewart, Taylor, Union, and Warren. 6 in Barry and Jefferson, Putnam, Rabin, Walker, and Wilkes. 5 Lanier, Tatnell. 4 Candler, Franklin, Hurd, and Wayne. 3 in Charlton, Chattahoochee, Clinch, Crawford, Elbert, Hancock, Hart, McIntosh, Quitman, Towns, and Webster. 2 in Atkinson, Dade, Eccles, Montgomery, Twiggs, and Wheeler. One in Bleckley, Evans, Dave, Jeff Davis, Long, and Truitland. And you got 613 cases of unknown county origin. Probably those four are in there. Those four that uh, have no confirmed cases are probably in there. And then there are 447 people in the state of Georgia who are actually not residents of Georgia. Four of them have died. They've got cases. We have tested now uh, uh, 53,000, 54,000 uh, some odd people in the state of Georgia. And here again, this is the most interesting aspect of this. Originally, we were told the people most susceptible would be over the age of 60. Actually, uh, between 18 and 59, uh, 61% of the cases in Georgia are between 18 and 59. Only 35% are over 60. It's a 54-44 female-male spread, 2% we're not sure of. Now, let me give you the breakdown here. This is very, very helpful from the uh, Department of uh, the, Public Health. There are, oh man, they do this. You, you know how ever since the Trayvon Martin thing, we got to distinguish between uh, a white Hispanic and a black Hispanic because apparently you can be a black or a white Hispanic, which no one knew was a thing until the Trayvon Martin situation. Uh, when what's his name? George Zimmerman was identified as a white guy, although he was Hispanic. He was Hispanic white guy. Well, we, we have uh, 18 Hispanic uh, black cases, 2,249 non-Hispanic black cases, 
447 um, black cases where we don't know whether they're Hispanic or not. 136 white Hispanic. 1,613 white non-Hispanic, 274 white unknown whether they're Hispanic or not. My goodness. Um, That gives you the breakdown. Now, here's the other thing. I'm going to scroll through real quick here, and we're going to do this count. I haven't done this, and and this is not to bore you. Uh, Charlie, you don't need to send me an angry email for doing this because he'll he'll send me an angry email. You're boring the audience. But I want to do this as an experiment because I haven't seen this yet. But this gives you a sense of the mortality rate. Uh, there is a, a 31-year-old male in Fulton County with no underlying conditions who died of this. There is a 51-year-old female in Clayton County who died with no underlying conditions. There is a 70-year-old female in Lee County with no underlying conditions, a 56-year-old male in Cobb County with no underlying conditions, a 50-year-old female in Fulton County with no underlying conditions, a 66-year-old man in Douglas County with no underlying conditions, an 84-year-old female in Fulton County with no underlying conditions. That's seven. That's seven. Are there any more? Yep. There's a 29-year-old male in Cobb County with no underlying conditions. We're up to eight. An 89-year-old female in Clark County with no underlying conditions. A 97-year-old male in Cobb County with no underlying conditions. That's 10. 67-year-old man in Dooley County. That's 11 with no underlying conditions. You, you, you kind of see what I'm getting at here. A 82-year-old female in Cobb County with no underlying conditions, 67-year-old male with no underlying conditions, 81-year-old male in Gwinnett, a 27-year-old female in Lee County, no underlying conditions. That's 15. So 15, we've got a total of how many deaths in the state of Georgia now? 442 deaths in our state. And 15 of them have no underlying conditions. Now, there was a report that the youngest person to die in the state of Georgia of COVID-19 was 21 years old in Muskogee County. And the coroner has now released a statement and said, not so fast. Uh, It appears she died of a pulmonary embolism uh, that she got during a C-section, that it was not actually the, the virus that killed her. It was the pulmonary embolism. She was pregnant, taken to the hospital because of the virus. They decided to induce labor to a C-section, and it appears she got a pulmonary embolism from the C-section, and that's what killed her, not the virus. Um, And the coroner is trying to clarify there. Let's not say that this is our youngest victim in the state. But there you have it. Those Those are it of the 442 cases. Now, there are some unknown. Let's be clear here. There are some unknown cases. But by and large, we've got 15 cases where we know the person had no underlying conditions. Most of those people were above the age of 70. Everyone else had underlying conditions. Uh, morbid obesity, diabetes, and heart issues are the big three, uh, more so even than cancer, including lung cancer, by the way. Um, it is heart disease, uh, morbid obesity, and um, and diabetes are the three big things that are causing people to die of COVID-19. Now, of course, there's a debate on the right these days over whether the people are dying of these things or not. And Dr. Burks has not been very clear on this, uh, although she did clarify, and a lot of the people on the right who are circulating this this conspiracy theory aren't actually clearing it up. And, you know, as an aside here, I am in a very awkward position where I'm having to call BS on a lot of friends of mine on the right, and I don't like it, but I've got to. There, th- this herd mentality of we've got to reopen the whole country tomorrow is really starting to get under my skin because I agree we can't keep the country closed for long. 
And I think if if we don't have a plan in place to reopen by February by by March or May first, we're we're going to be in a world of hurt. We need to start targeting opening parts of the country back up on May first. But this conspiracy on the right that we're miscounting the deaths, we're attributing everything to COVID nineteen, even though it's not. We're overcounting the people who've died. Now, when everything consistently, we're seeing three percent outside of. China and Italy, we're seeing 3.5% death worldwide. We are in line with that. We're seeing 20% hospitalization around the world. We are in line with that. That somehow there's a grand conspiracy by people in our state. It's just garbage. It's just garbage to see that happening. It is shameful, frankly, to see a number of people in this country on the right working to undermine the president and his advisors. And that's essentially what it amounts to. They're trying to get Dr. Fauci fired because they want to reopen the country. They don't like that he's telling the president to keep it closed. They don't like that the president's listening to him and not them. And part of this is jealousy too, if we're honest about it. There are a lot of people who think they should have the presence here. I get mad at people because the president calls me at home. And I I get conservatives mad at me uh, that the president will call me at home. Uh, he doesn't call me at home. I don't. I don't believe that he's called you at home. You know, the 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 demands by some to be listened to. Maybe if you didn't go off into conspiracy theory territory all the time, more people would actually listen to you. I want to give you global perspective. You, you know, the United States. Believe it or not, you, you go back to the founding of the country, and we've got a group of fifty semi-sovereign nations that have come together and ceded limited power to Washington, D.C. to operate on our mutual behalf, those things that would be better done together than apart. And so when the United States is given the total, for example, there are, in this case, uh, 557,663 confirmed cases right now, 22,116 deaths. What we're really talking about is a group of 50 nations. And it really shows you the different responses around the country of how this is handled and how it's not handled. By the way, in Georgia, the the death rate per contraction is 3.5%. Nationwide, it's 3.965%, so almost 4% nationwide. So Georgia is actually less of a death toll uh, from the virus slightly by a few tenths of a percent than the nation as a whole. New York is really where it's impacted more than anything else. Uh, New York is actually pretty brutal in what's happened with it and the virus. It's just, it's bad, not good stuff in New York. And yet the media wants to lump everybody in together. The media wants to lump the whole country as a whole in. And really, even Dr. Fauci and Dr. Berkson pointed out, you got to really look at the United States uh, state by state and region by region because it varies. And remember, uh, you had all the people in the media who were blasting Republicans and Southerners and Brian Kemp and, and Ron DeSantis and the Kay Ivey from Alabama and the like for not taking the drastic radical steps that other states have done. Even now, Brian Kemp here in Georgia is getting attacked by the national press for not rounding people up who dare go to church. They're attacking him for not doing aggressive enforcement of shelter in place. And yet it's working. It's working. 
even though, you, you know, it, it troubles me that you can be tracked by your cell phone so easily. And media organizations have been getting that data to see uh, behavior changes. And in Georgia, only between 15 and 20% of people have changed their pre-existing behavior. But that's been enough. And yet the governor continues to be attacked by a partisan press. And, you know, now in Georgia, uh, the Democrats want the mask law changed. There's a 70-year-old law that was put on the books designed to fight the KKK. And it prohibits the wearing of masks in public except for Halloween. And it prevents the – it prohibits you from wearing a mask into a private location unless given that permission. Well, in Illinois – Two men got detained, two black men wearing masks, got detained by the police for their refusal to take off their masks before going into a grocery store. So Democrats in Georgia have decided that we need in this country, in in this state to end the mask law. Yeah, I know we haven't had any cases like this in Georgia, but it happened in Illinois And now suddenly it's become a thing. And the Democrats, the Democrats in the state want the governor to end it. And of course, the governor, he's he's okay. He's okay suspending enforcement of that law. But they tried to turn this into a partisan attack on the governor for not suspending a mask law that for a very long time, the Democrats were the chief advocates of. It just shows you that partisanship hasn't taken a day off. Partisanship hasn't changed. The, the, the partisan dynamics in the country and in the state haven't changed. And of course, that gets us into the election. Kelly Loeffler, Doug Collins. Doug Collins picks up a big endorsement. People close to the governor trying to get people to stay in line with Loeffler. I want to talk about that when we come back. Yes, we're going to step away from the virus for a little bit. Welcome. Yeah, the phone number here, I was going to say something, but that I better not. I'll just get in trouble. (laughs) The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. That is 877-973-7425. If you hear a dog going nuts in the background, uh, it's, it's only a matter of time before the dog realizes that uh, they're laying pine straw and goes nuts to see strangers uh, laying pine straw. Nonetheless, uh, I want to I want to move beyond the virus. There, you know, there is other news in the world. Uh, oh, you know, I, I gotta say, so I've been on radio since 2011, and I do not recall a news story that refused to go away like this story. I do not recall a news story that refused to go. This story stays constant. It never goes away. You can't escape it. And there are all angles. It, it, it is in the entertainment news. It's in political news. It's, it's in international news. It's in local news. It is the virus, the virus. But I'm going to endeavor for the moment to move on to other things. I'm sure you'll be relieved before I do. I would like to give a tip of the hat to Dynamic Money. They are sponsoring. You have heard Chris Burns fill in for me. You heard him here on Thursday. He actually is a friend. He was actually supposed to come to my house on Sunday uh, to do his show from my studio in Macon, but was able to figure out a way to do it from Atlanta because he did not want to um, 
I dare risk uh, coming here and potentially, you know, not that he's sick, mind you, he's not. Uh, he's just, you You get this virus, you get contagious, you have no idea. He doesn't want to play the odds with my family, which is which is nice, but I was hoping to sit on the front porch and have a glass of bourbon, and thus far I'm having to do it by myself. But in any event, that's all to say this hour is sponsored by Dynamic Money. There are financial planners. They can be your financial planners. Uh, great people help you make a budget, learn how to budget, or learn how to get out of debt and manage your 401k, all that. Go to dynamicmoney.com. Now, speaking of dynamic money, <laughs> we we got lots of money pouring in dynamically to the Senate race here in Georgia. I'm seeing Doug Collins signs around middle Georgia. He clearly has an aggressive grassroots operation. By the way, that's one thing Collins has that Leffler doesn't have, and that is to his advantage. Doug Collins has a committed group of grassroots supporters who are his. To the extent Kelly Leffler has people supporting her, they are people who are loyal to the governor, who are giving the governor the benefit of the doubt. She has not earned yet her base. She has not had a breakout moment yet that has endeared her to people per se. Uh, she is doing her best to manage the issue of the um, uh, of the stocks. She has announced, I interviewed her the other day, she has announced she's going to give up individual ownership of stocks and uh, will only buy index funds and mutual funds. These buy her advisors. She does not keep an, and by the way, I do think the story is going to pass. It is notable that the federal investigators are investigating Richard Burr. They are not investigating Kelly Leffler. Here's the thing why I think it's a non-story. Uh, the 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 insider trading allegations. Now, granted, um, it, it was it was bad for her advisors. Uh, are financial guys? They were politically tone deaf. But the reality of the situation is that she and her husband have made their living in the stock market. They know insider trading laws, and it's absurd to think that they would, in some way, some capacity, somehow. Advance, advance insider trading to profit themselves when they're rich enough without it. And you can say, well, they're greedy people. They're greedy people. But here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. And, and this, I think, is very relevant here, is they know the insider trading laws. If anything, that they, over time, have advised those who write the insider trading laws. To think that she would then want to run afoul of the insider trading laws, knowing that her stock purchases are going to be examined. The very reason she gave up individual management of her portfolio and outsourced it to Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo and Goldman Sachs, those are the three groups managing her portfolio. Uh, the very reason she did it was to avoid the allegations that she's now found herself dragged into. It's just absurd to me that we would presume that she was engaged in insider trading. That being said, it is fair game. And she's going to have to respond, and she's going to have to respond forcefully. She has begun to with a Wall Street Journal op-ed uh, and, and reaching out to local media. She is going to have to continue to do this. Now, Doug Collins has gotten Drew Ferguson on board. Drew Ferguson, a uh, member of Congress from uh, the, the Peachtree City area, he replaced Lynn Westmoreland in Congress. He has come out and endorsed Collins. He's the first member of Congress to do so. I am told rather reliably that people close to the governor are doing what they can to keep everyone in line for Leffler. 
Doug Collins has released polling that shows him well ahead of Leffler. Now, keep in mind, it's a Collins campaign poll. Campaign polling is inaccurate, but the margin is so wide, uh, it boggles the mind that if there wasn't some truth there, they, they, they would. Listen, a, internal campaign polling is universally crap. Uh, let, let's just be honest here. Uh, when you see a campaign release an internal poll, what you know is that the poll is not true. They're trying to message something, and oftentimes they're trying to reassure people. But Doug Collins and his campaign team, they're not bad people. They're actually very good people, and they're credible people, and credibility matters to them. And so they're releasing a poll that shows Doug Collins' head and shoulders above Leffler in the polling. And you can read this poll and say, well, okay, he probably is ahead, but he's not ahead by that margin. But they would not release a poll showing him blowing her out of the water unless they actually had evidence that he was ahead of her in the polls. Uh, they, they, they would not sacrifice their credibility for that. So we can presume that the stock issue has had damage. And I got to tell you, I've, I've got people who are willing to give her the benefit of the doubt. Because the governor picked her, they wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt, and now they're on Team Collins because of the stock issue. And part of that is, let's be honest, they were looking for a reason to support Doug Collins. They felt loyalty to the governor. They wanted to look loyal to the governor, and now they've got a reason to shift to Collins. The plain reality of the situation, though, is that the race is not until November, and so she has time to recover. The hard part is recovering when the virus story is all-consuming. Uh, every new story out there right now is about the virus. It's hard to recover and get your story out there when all anyone wants to talk about is the virus, and she's going to have to figure out a way to do that. That reminds me, I want to do something. Uh, so up in North Georgia, Doug Collins, of course, he's running for the Senate. And so the, his his seat is open. There are a number of people running up there. Uh, Matt Gertler's running, Paul Brown's running, Paul Brown, a number of others are running. And then there is the Tom Grave seat. That also is open. And there are a lot of people running in that race. And my radio show covers those areas. Uh, I, I am basically, on a, if you got a talk station in North Georgia, this show is is on it right now. And so I cover the districts, uh, Tom Graves' district and Doug Collins' district. And so I think what I would like to do is to find a time to begin interviewing the Republicans who are running, all of them, and give them some airtime so that they can come on and have a conversation about uh, who they are and why they're running. it. And it, it's not a attack the other side conversation. It's a uh, this is who I am and this is why I'm running sort of thing. I, there's no reason to attack the other side. And and I, I, I wouldn't mind doing this honestly with the Democrats who are running uh, for the Senate against Purdue as well and, and have all the Senate candidates on for Leffler. I feel like I could be doing some level of community service here because all these people are running. None of them can get airtime. This show is the only show that covers the state of Georgia like in ge both geographic scope of, of where the show is and also the topics covered. And, and let them all come on and, and just a, not a combative interview. I don't want to do a combative interview with anyone, Democrat or Republican, just why they're running, what they're concerned about, uh, what their passion is. I, I think it would be worthwhile doing. And so perhaps we should do that. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to figure out a way to make that happen and, and make it accessible to everyone, Democrat and Republican alike. Uh, to come on and just do an introductory interview of who I am and why I'm running and what your background is and what your issues are, not to attack the other side. 
And uh, there's no reason to beat up on the opponent. You know, I've always had this view of when I, when I ran candidates for office, it's never about the other candidate. It's always about why you're the best. And you can talk about the other candidate without talking about the other candidate. For example, uh, let's say you're a doctor right now. You don't have to say the other guys are unqualified. You just say, I'm the only doctor running. I, I'm an epidemiologist and I'm running for Congress. I've got a background in this. I know this right now. Congress could use my competence. You, you don't have to say anything about the other side. You don't have to say anything about the plumber running or the or the lawyer running or or the non epidemiological doctor running. You, you just say, look, right now we need epidemiologists in Congress who actually know what's going on. I'm that guy. Vote for me. There's no reason to attack the other side. And so I'd I'd like to navigate this with all of those people. Democrat and Republican and allow them to come on and make their case because there's nowhere, uh, unless they're shelling out big ads, this is really the only show in Georgia that covers, that, that is is across the state, covers basically right now, I think we cover about 65% of the population. We're not inside Atlanta, but otherwise we cover the state. We're, we're on stations across the state. And you've got candidates in the Senate race who are running statewide, but then I know we're all the way across North Georgia and you've got candidates all across North Georgia running for Congress. And it, I think it would be interesting to hear these people running, particularly how are you running in the age of COVID-19 when you can't campaign, you can't go door to door. Uh, this virus has turned politics on its head. There used to be a methodology to run for office. There used to be a, you would go door to door, you would reach out to people. Now you have to do target YouTube ads and target Google ads and try to find people who watch Netflix and don't get advertising. How do you reach out to those people? Do you reach out to them by the mail? Do you do robo-phone calls? All of this is up in the air now in ways it used to not be in the past. We're having to do things differently. For example, back to the mask law. The Democrats in the state of Georgia have been advocates for years and chief defenders of the mask law. In fact, the mask law went before the U.S. Supreme Court. It was Clarence Thomas who upheld the mask law. The, The mask law is a law that prohibits you from wearing a mask in public except for uh, holidays, uh, Mardi Gras, Halloween, things like that. It was a law used to defeat the Klan. It's 70 years old. And there haven't been any problems in the state of Georgia with the mask law. In fact, the governor has largely, um, is, is they're turning a blind eye to it. It hasn't been enforced anywhere in Georgia uh, because people need to wear masks. In fact, you know the Fresh Market, the grocery store chain. I've got one near me. Starting tomorrow, they're not allowing anyone into their grocery stores unless they're wearing masks. Now, I don't know how people are going to get the mask. I, I'm amazed by the number of people I've seen lately who have masks. Where are they getting them? My wife has been upstairs sewing masks for our family, and they're not as good as the surgical masks, but they're good. And there are little pockets where you can stick additional filtering in them. I, I don't know where people are getting their surgical masks from because they're not available in stores right now. And you know, if you try to order from Amazon, you're not going to get them. They're prioritizing sending them to healthcare workers. Now, I don't know how they know that. I guess they're sending them to hospitals or something such. But on Tuesday, if you want to go to a fresh market anywhere in Georgia, you're going to have to wear a mask. I guess I'm going to have to get in the habit of wearing a mask. I, you know, I my my view is that as long as everybody else is wearing a mask, I don't have to. I don't want to. And it's kind of weird. Uh, last uh, This time last year, people would look at you weird if you went into a grocery store with a mask on. This year, they're looking at you weird if you don't go into a grocery store with a mask on. Everybody's got a mask. I don't know where they're finding the masks, but everybody's finding a mask except for me. But it's against the law to wear a mask in public. 
And so the Democrats want the governor to suspend the law. And by the way, the governor Kip is open to this. He, he's not saying no to this. He, he's saying they're, they're certainly going to look at this. They didn't realize it was a problem because the way the law works in Georgia, in Georgia, the law says that you can't wear a mask on private property unless the per, the owner of the property allows, which all the store owners are doing. So there's no, you're not running afoul of there. So the other issue is in public, you're not allowed to wear a mask in public. But the governor has declared a health emergency and has been encouraging people to wear a mask in public. So arguably, under the language of his existing order, he's already stopped enforcement of the mask law. But the Democrats want him to do more. And what they're calculating on is that Governor Kipp has been arguably more nuanced than he should be. I mean, the governor is trying not to be political, and I think that's to his credit, but it allows his critics opportunities to blast him for being uh, aloof and out of touch. And so he probably ought to go out and aggressively uh, suspend enforcement of the mask law, provided it's surgical masks where you can see your eyes or some such. Because, I mean, that that's ultimately the issue is, the, is they people that the Klan would cover up their their faces so maybe allow coverage of the nose and masks that'll cover your nose and mouth are allowed in public right now. And he would be able to not have the Democrats generate a negative press story on him while also doing good, while also essentially complying with his existing order. You know, the tendency out there, we're seeing this with some governors, and it's not just, just Brian Kemp. We're seeing some governors out there when uh, the party opposite them demands they do something, they say, well, it's already contemplated in the order. I mean, for example, here in Georgia, for example, uh, the governor's not shutting down churches, but he's saying if you do have a church service, you got to keep six feet apart. You can't pass the offering plate. You got to have hand sanitizer, all that. And the Democrats are demanding that that he he shut them down, and and because they're not essential services, the governor's like, uh, religion is essential for some people. In Kentucky, you know, I had on Mike Davis from the third um, from the Article Three Project the other day about Judge Walker, who is being appointed by the president to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, the second most important court in the country. He's actually a judge in Kentucky, and he had to issue a temporary restraining order on Friday because the mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, said he was going to arrest people who went to church. So he had to issue a restraining order. They were going to leave open liquor stores, but not drive through churches where you stayed in your car and listen to the pastor on a speaker system. And he had to stop the mayor of, of Louisville, Kentucky, from doing that. It is outrageous, the attacks on religion. Uh, there are a number of these stories around the country we should get to when we come back. Yes, you can call in 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The Georgia World Congress Center is going to be converted into an emergency hospital with 200 beds for COVID-19. The plan is to send all of the non-ICU critical care patients to the Georgia World Congress Center, and all the critical care patients and ICU patients will then go to the actual hospitals. Now, they're, they don't know whether or not they're going to have to use this or not. Just, just to be clear here, this is not the panic operation. This is the preparedness operation. In Seattle, they converted one of the stadiums there into a critical care hospital, and they wound up not even using it. And, you know, that's uh, one of the things you, you got a lot of people on the right now pointing to and saying, CC is overrated, it's overrated, it's overrated. Not really. They wanted to be prepared, and the same here. They need to be prepared for the virus. Um, it, it, on a separate matter, I've got a listener uh, of this program who got the virus. He had not been out of the house except a uh, weekend before last, went to the grocery store. 
came home, started feeling bad and got the virus. And he's been singing the praises of the, of the VA, uh, how they handled it, how well they handled it, uh, and, uh, how they reached out to his family to let him know what's going on. And he said, uh, people in his community around him, he's a veteran, uh, and the whole community has stepped up to help him to, to make sure he's taken care of. And I'm hearing more and more of these stories around, and it really does your heart good to see communities stepping up, um, churches being engaged, local communities being engaged, neighbors being engaged, uh, going, uh, facing the fear, facing the virus in ways they might otherwise not have. Uh, a worker at the governor's mansion also has gotten the virus. The governor did not come into contact with the person. He was not on the inside of the house. He was on the outside of the house. They're not expecting uh, that the governor got it, but just just another one of those those cases. We're continuing to see this spread throughout the Georgia. And in in some cases, I I'm, I know someone who is working what would be considered an essential job and has not gotten it, but has been surrounded with people in his office who have gotten it. And he's one of the last men standing, and and we keep wondering if he's going to get it. You know, Smithfield Farms is the biggest producer of pork in the country. Smithfield Bacon and Pork Tenderloin stuff, they're having to shut down their pork facility up north because multiple workers have now come down with the virus. It is beginning to impact the supply chain. It is certainly impacting the toilet paper supply chain. Let's just be honest. Although I got to tell you guys, I was cleaning out the closet over the weekend, and I found more toilet paper. I didn't know I had it. There's extra toilet paper. I felt like it was Christmas Day. The Easter Bunny had left me toilet paper while I was cleaning out the closet. I, we we got a, We got a good stash. It's the paper towels now that are becoming the problem. The paper towels are hard to find. Uh, thankfully, I was able to get some on Amazon. Uh, but man, uh, the paper products in this country, there is clearly a supply chain issue. And that that's about it. Uh, the only thing I couldn't get at the grocery store when I went grocery shopping on Saturday were paper products, which I really didn't need. But I, if I found paper towels, I would have gotten some. But they were running short on paper towels at the grocery store, and, and along with all the other paper products, except for napkins. And even the napkins, there were only a couple of bags of those. So clearly, we got paper supply chain problems in the state of Georgia and elsewhere. Hello there, six after the hour. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you guys had a great Easter. Welcome this morning. Uh, now that we, we none of you have been blown away, I hope. Man, uh, prayers for those who have been impacted. The damage assessments coming in from across the southeast right now, pretty brutal. Uh, yesterday uh, in the, the Mississippi River Valley area, bad, bad storm damage blew in through Georgia last night. Woke us up around 2.30, 3 o'clock this morning at our house. It was just, it's a mess. The phone number here, if you want to be part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 if you want to call in. And I want to talk about Tara Reid, not the actress, not the actress. Uh, in fact, when I first heard that that uh, Joe Biden was accused of sexually harassing Tara Reid, I thought, Really? Nope. Turns out uh, she was a Senate aide. She accused Joe Biden of assaulting her in 1993. She says she told others about it. A Biden spokeswoman said the allegation is false. Former Senate office staff members do not recall the incident. Uh, and she's coming forward. And of course, uh, folks on my side making a big deal out of it. It is interesting. What I am interested in here are not the allegations per se. And I, I want to explain why. You and I both know, if you're realistic about this, if you're a realist about this, uh, the allegations aren't going to go anywhere. 
And they're not going to go anywhere because the media doesn't care. They're not going to go anywhere because the allegations are old. And the allegations are not going to go anywhere because of the but Trump sentiment, but 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 Trump was worse. And the allegations aren't going to go anywhere because we already know Biden's kind of a creepy dude anyway, who who is clingy. I mean, I like the guy personally, but he is kind of creepy clingy with women. But here's how this begins. Two women at the New York Times, uh, probably progressives, or they wrote this, a former Senate aide who last year accused Joe Biden of inappropriate touching has made an allegation of sexual assault against the former vice president, the Democratic Party's presumptive presidential nominee this fall. The former aide, Tara Reid, who briefly worked as a staff assistant in Mr. Biden's Senate office, told the New York Times that in 1993, Mr. Biden pinned her to a wall in a Senate building, reached under her clothes and penetrated her with his fingers. My friend said Ms. Reed told her the details of the allegation at the time. Another friend and a brother of Ms. Reed's said she told them over the years about a traumatic sexual incident involving Mr. Biden. A spokeswoman for Mr. Biden said the allegation was false. In interviews, several people who worked in the Senate office with Ms. Reed said they did not recall any talk of such an incident or similar behavior by Ms. Biden, Mr. Biden towards any of the women in his office. Two office interns who worked directly with Ms. Reed said they were unaware of the allegations of uh, any treatment that troubled her. Last year, Ms. Reed and seven other women came forward to accuse Mr. Biden of kissing, hugging, or touching them in ways that made them feel uncomfortable. Ms. Reed told the Times then that Mr. Biden had publicly stroked her neck, wrapped his fingers in her hair, and touched her in ways that made her uncomfortable. Soon after Ms. Reed made the new allegation in a podcast interview released on March 25th, the Times began reporting on her account and seeking corroboration through interviews, documents, and other sources. The Times interviewed Ms. Reed on multiple days over hours, as well as those she told about Mr. Biden's behavior and other friends. The Times also interviewed lawyers who spoke to Ms. Reed about her allegation. Nearly two dozen people who worked with Mr. Biden during the early 90s, including many who worked with Ms. Reed and other seven women who criticized Mr. Biden last year to discuss their experiences. No other allegations about sexual assault surfaced in the course of reporting, nor did any former Biden staff members corroborate any of the allegations. The Times found no pattern of sexual misconduct. On Thursday, Ms. Reed filed a report with the Washington, D.C. police saying she was the victim of a sexual assault in 1993. The public incident report provided to the Times by Ms. Reed and the police does not mention Mr. Biden by name, but she said the complaint was about him. Ms. Reed said she filed the report to give herself an additional degree of safety from potential threats. Filing a false police report may be punishable by a fine. Now, here's the thing. I don't treat this credibly. The reason I don't, uh, sorry, that clicks into the link of the podcast where she where she made the allegations. If you go to the New York Times, you can find that link. I'm not going to play any of that interview. Here's why I don't treat it credibly. I don't treat it credibly because I don't treat the Christine Blasey Ford information credibly. Uh, this happens, and you wait until he runs for president to begin making the case that he inappropriately uh, touched and hugged you and put his fingers in your hair and around your body. But you save the salacious part for later for a podcast when you describe that. Uh, that doesn't strike me as as meeting the level of credibility that one should have when the person you're accusing is a uh, presidential candidate, let alone a Supreme Court nominee like Brett Kavanaugh. And that's, that's where I want to go with this. The media told us when Brett Kavanaugh was being appointed to the Supreme Court that we must believe all women. All women must be believed. All of the women. 
There were no caveats. There were no exceptions. There was no asterisks. There was no parenthetical. It was all women must be believed. If a woman says she was sexually abused by a man, you must believe her. That was the New York Times' editorial position. That was the paper's position. That was the position of the left. That was the position of the Democrats. That was the position of the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee. That was the, the position of the Democrats on the activist left. That was the position of the left. Believe all women. Here's a woman. She claims that Joe Biden sexually assaulted her in a hallway in 1993. Do we believe all women or not? Do we believe all women or not? Because I was told by the media, by the New York Times, by the New Yorker, by CNN, by MSNBC, by the Democrats, by the Senate Democrats, by the Democratic leadership, by Joe Biden himself, believe all women. Based on that, I have to believe Tara Reid was sexually assaulted by Joe Biden. I'm not allowed to believe otherwise. I would be a misogynistic bigot if I believed otherwise. I would be a sexist if I believed otherwise. Based on the Democrats on standard, based on the New York Times on standard, based on the standard of Joe Biden, based on the standard of the Senate Democrats, based on the standard of Chuck Schumer, based on the standard of Nancy Pelosi, based on the standard of the New Yorker, based on the standard of CNN and MSNBC and USA Today and the Los Angeles Times and the Miami Herald, I've got to believe all women and you do too or else. Except that was never the case. There's always been a level of hypocrisy here. They don't want you to believe all women. They want you to believe all Democratic women leveling accusations against Republican men. That's what it was. I do not believe the allegations, or I, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I should say I do not have sufficient information to believe the allegations. But I will say this, unlike Christine Blasey Ford, she told people contemporaneous to the exchange. Christine Blasey Ford did not. And the people that Christine Blasey Ford said she told do not recall her saying it. The people that Tara Reid claims she told believe because they remember her telling them. That's a pretty substantial difference that Christine Blasey Ford didn't tell anyone at the time. And then she told people and those people do not recall her telling her. Tara Reid says she told people at the time and those people remember her telling them. So if anything, Tara Reid is more credible than Christine Blasey Ford, but we're not to believe her. We're to believe Christine Blasey Ford, whose own witnesses could not corroborate her ever saying anything. Funny how that works, isn't it? Believe all women unless they make an accusation against a Democrat. Now, here's what's going to happen. And as much as I could spend my day these days talking about the media, you know, I'm going to say this and I shouldn't, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm alarmed by people on my side who have significantly lost their minds in the age of Trump, who have decided to engage in defenses of the president that boggle the mind who have decided that owning the left is the chief end of mankind and have decided that they will they will swallow all intellectual curiosity and credibility in the name of advancing their partisan agenda. 
and they get mad at me because I'm just not willing to go there. If anything, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I've always said that I feel like there are a lot of people who plant their feet in the ground or that they actually walk away from conservatism. They've, they've walked away from conservatism and they say, no, no, conservatism left me. You see this with people like Max Boot, who was always a hack. He just he, he was getting scraps from the Republican table until Donald Trump came along, and now he's not getting scraps from the Republican table. He's got to go somewhere to get scraps to be able to eat. So now he's, he's saying whatever the left wants him to say. He's repudiating all of his supposedly long-held beliefs so that the left will seal clap him and throw him scraps, and, and he can he can be on TV and still get the access. He, he, he wants the fame. He wants the access. He wants the celebrity. And he's no longer getting it from the right because the worldview dynamics on the right have changed with foreign policy. So a guy like Max Boot has to go out now savage every belief he ever had. He says, oh, no, they, they left me. No, they didn't leave you. You left them. I mean, they started ignoring you and you walked away. But I, I got to tell you, I, I view my position where I am as, as I haven't really changed. I still believe big government is bad. I still believe activist government is bad. I still believe life is 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 good, that we should be pro-life. I still believe in small government. I still believe that uh, the government closest to you governs the best. I still believe Washington's incompetent. I still believe we should not allow all powerful politicians in Washington. I still believe that uh, originalism is good. I still believe that conservatism is good. I still believe that conservatism doesn't mean we stop the advance. It just means we really slow things down and consider them. I still believe all these things. I still believe the philosophy of Burke is good. The philosophy of Hayek is good. The philosophy of Milton Freeman is good. I still believe that Russell Kirk uh, was right in how he described conservatism. I still believe that the, the ideas of Barry Goldwater, extremism and defense of liberty is no vice. I still believe these things. And yet I see so much of the conservative movement now all about owning the left. We just got to own the left. If they're for it, we're against it. If they're against it, we're for it. It doesn't matter what it is. If the left is mad about something, by God, we're going to be all for it. We're going to go in. And if the left loves something, well, it's got to be bad. You could get Republicans tomorrow to embrace universal government-run health care if the left came out against it today. If the left came out and said, you know what we need? We need free markets. And, and if the left came out and said, you know what? We need to stop government health care because government health care is bad you would see half of the conservative movement in the United States of America tomorrow come out in favor of government-run health care because it's all about owning the left these days. It's not about an intellectual consistency. It's not about intellectual integrity. It's not about integrity at all. It's not about values. It's, it's about whatever they're for, we're against, and whatever they're against, we're for. And that drives me crazy. And so I see what's going to happen here. I, I, I'm, I'm going to get blown up by my own side for being dismissive of these allegations, which if it was a Democrat uh, making these allegations against, or if it was someone making these allegations against the president, you two would say, oh, that that's really suspicious. You mean it happened in 1993. You told a few people that something happened. You didn't go into great detail. Last year, you said again that something happened, but you didn't go into detail. And this year, he's the nominee. And now suddenly you're saying, oh yeah, actually, he, he inappropriately placed his hand somewhere and moved my clothes around and put his finger up. What? I'm not going to embrace this any more than I would embrace the Christine Blasey Ford allegations. What I will embrace and what I think is relevant is the media hypocrisy, and that is the angle that we should take here. We don't need to get spun up on whether or not Joe Biden sexually harassed. I mean, he has a history of being gropey, gropey, touchy-feely, and it's creepy. 
There's never been an allegation that he did something like this. What we should do, I think, as conservatives is focus on the media hypocrisy. You people said believe all women. You were willing to destroy Brett Kavanaugh with a bunch of stories from people no one could confirm them. And yet with Joe Biden, a woman who did tell people around the time that it happened that it happened, you're willing to actually, this New York Times article spends more time attacking the president than Joe Biden. This news article spends more time condemning President Trump's behavior than attacking Joe Biden or even investigating Joe Biden. There, I think, is the relevant angle here with this story. We don't need to dwell on whether or not her allegations are true to point out the fact that if she were making these allegations against Donald Trump, the New York Times would find the allegation is sufficient. Because when it's a Democrat attacking a Republican, it's always the allegation is the sufficient truth. It's never the truth itself. It's the allegation that's the truth. So when it's Christine Blasey Ford attacking Brett Kavanaugh or that other woman that Michael Avenetti dredged up from a gutter somewhere attacking attacking Brett Kavanaugh, it's the sufficiency of the allegation that matters. It's not the allegation itself. The allegation is the truth of the matter asserted. And conservatives should be pointing that out. Why the double standard? Why Christine Blasey Ford, who had no corroborative witnesses, versus this woman who did, around the time it happened, tell people? That should be relevant to everyone. That should be relevant to the media. And I'm afraid what's going to happen, though, is that you're going to get some conservatives spun up on the actual allegations themselves, and they're going to go truther on whether or not Joe Biden actually did it, where it's too long ago when it's only one person, and even the people she told she didn't necessarily go into all the details with. Versus there is a case for the that I could make. In fact, I, you know what? I'm going to do this when we come back. The case for the president's reelection, he could run his entire campaign for November based on the media's hypocrisy about him. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'm seeing this video circulating. We're going to listen to this together because I haven't heard it. This is Bill Bennett uh, on Fox News this morning. Bill. What are we missing about this virus? We see the numbers, uh, 22,000 dead, how many cases? But you took a step back, and what did you find? Yeah, let's take a step back. Uh, The estimates now from the University of Washington, which is the model everybody's been going on, even though it's been wrong most of the time uh, by a lot, overstating it, is now they say 60,000 people will die. 61,000 is what we lost to the flu in 2017 and 2018, the flu. Now, we all regret the loss of uh, 61,000 people, if that's what it turns out to be. I'm going to tell you, I think it's going to be less. And salute all those who are working on the front lines on this, the hospital workers, the nurses, the doctors, etc., and the generosity of the American people. But if you look at those numbers and see the comparable, uh, we're going to have fewer fatalities from this than from the flu. For this, we scared the hell out of the American people. We lost 17 million jobs. We put a major dent in the economy. We closed down the schools. You heard Dr. Oz say we probably didn't have to do that. Uh, Shut down the churches and so on. Um, You know, uh, this was not and is not a pandemic, but we do have panic and pandemonium as a result of the hype of this. So does does that mean that the president 
isn't smart? Does that mean the president got played? Does that mean the president isn't a brilliant guy? Because it's it's the president who who did a lot of these things. It's, it's the president who wanted everything shut down. Uh, it, it's the president. So is is this Bill Bennett questioning the president? You know, there's there's a point here to be made, and I want to go back. You know, if you text data to three three seven seven seven, you'll get the I M H E model I H M E modeling. Uh, you'll see it. When, well, I'll send you back a link uh, to my subset. You click on the link, you'll see in the there's a category called projections. You see the IHME modeling. And I want to give you this masthead. COVID-19 projections assume full social distancing through May 2020. Now, what is full social distancing? Everybody stays away from everybody through May 2020. The modeling for COVID-19 suggests 61,000 people. The minimum modeling for COVID-19 suggests uh, somewhere around 40,000 people dead. So we're going to be within the range of the modeling. The, the, the high is about 150,000, the low of about 40,000. And some of you are wondering what this is. You're very familiar with this modeling. Uh, when you see a hurricane come, you look at the chart of the hurricane. And the further out you go, the wider the, the margin of error is, the wider the path is. It can go this way or it can go that way. As the more and more data comes in, they narrow and narrow and narrow until it hits the shore. And, and, and they wind up as, as the, as the data comes in 12, every 12 hours, they readjust so you can see where the hurricane is going to go. The same thing is happening here with this modeling. And the minimum has always been 40,000. The high has been now upwards of, of 160,000, 160,000. Here's the thing though. We're going to have 40,000 deaths and we all stayed home. 40,000 deaths and we all stayed home. How many more would we have if we didn't stay home? They want to say, well, the flu killed 60,000 people. The flu killed 60,000 people in six months. This is going to kill 40,000 people in three months. That's, that's not the flu. And that's, killing that many people in three months and we all stayed home. This should tell you it's something bigger than that. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. Let's talk about the president's campaign for November. There is some polling out you will be interested in, I am sure. Uh, Joe Biden has a healthy lead in a lot of the polling, but I want to read for from Nate Cohen in the New York Times. President Trump and Joe Biden begin the general election campaign locked in a highly competitive contest that remains fought along the lines of the 2016 presidential election, according to national and battleground state polls. If anyone holds the early edge, it is Mr. Biden. He leads by an average of six points in national live interview polls of registered voters. Notice the, the, clear, the, the note here, live interviews. Those are the credible polls. But the election will be decided by voters in the battleground states, not registered voters nationwide. And there the story is not nearly so clear or rosy for Mr. Biden. At the moment, a reasonable estimate is that Mr. Biden is performing four or five points worse among likely voters in the critical states than he is among registered voters nationwide. As a result, 
He holds only a narrow and tenuous edge in the race for the Electoral College. If he holds one at all, even under ordinary circumstances, with seven months to go until the election, there would be plenty of time for the race to change. This cycle, the country also faces a pandemic and a severe economic downturn with the potential to upend the race. Already, an initial uptick in the presidential approval rating has dissipated, perhaps because a rallying effect has given way to more focus on the administration's response to coronavirus. There will be many opportunities for the polls to shift again, and the president faces many downside risks without a return to normal life and economic growth before the election. But at least for now, the polls suggest American voters are divided along familiar lines. And that gives the president an edge. That's right. That's right. That's right. The president, among likely voters in the swing states that will be the centerpiece of the Electoral College. The president is doing quite well there, just like he was against Hillary Clinton. Kind of a problem for the Democrats. And, you know, of course, the, the Democratic solution to all of this is to get rid of the Electoral College and to cast doubt on the legitimacy of the Constitution as opposed to find a candidate who can win. Maybe Joe Biden will win. I, I personally would view Joe Biden somewhat as the front runner because he's got a, an advantage in money. He will have an advantage in money, and he will have the advantage of the media out to get him. Out to help him, at least, not to get him to help him. I mean, look at the cover they're giving to Joe Biden and the sexual assault allegation by Tara Reid, not the actress. Here's what I would do if I were the president of the United States. I think the president can capitalize on all of this. There are some great campaign messages out there for the president. For example, <clears throat> clearing my voice to be the professional announcer of the commercial. In January, while the Democrats were distracting the nation by impeachment, President Trump took bold, decisive leadership and shut travel with China to stem the tide of COVID-19. Democrats and Joe Biden accused him of xenophobia. The press and the experts said it would not help the tide and would make things worse. Now the experts praise the president for shutting down travel to China, but say he should have done more. Meanwhile, they praise Andrew Cuomo, who refused to shut his state down and caused a mass outbreak of COVID-19. You can't believe the press, but you can trust Donald Trump. The media said we should not secure the border. How many cases of COVID-19 could we have stopped if the Democrats joined with the president to secure the border? You can't believe the media, but you can trust Donald Trump. You may not like Donald Trump, but Donald Trump stood up against the media, telling him shutting off travel with China was xenophobic and shutting off travel with Europe was a bad idea. But now we know the virus was already spreading. The Chinese lied and people died. And the press, they just wanted to attack Donald Trump. You may not like Donald Trump, but you know he's got America's interests at heart. You can't believe the press, but you can trust Donald Trump. And on and on it goes. I mean, he's got a winning campaign message right there. The media and the Democrats said we could not take harsh measures against Iran. President Trump killed their terrorist mastermind. The media said he was distracting himself from impeachment and starting World War III. What happened? 
Iran receded on the horizon. You may not like Donald Trump, but you can trust him to put America first. The President of the United States refused to entangle the United States in the Paris Climate Accord. The rest of the world, taken over by COVID-19, the United States' economy was so strong, we've been able to withstand the storm better than those other countries. It's been hard, sometimes harsh. But we'll get through this together, America, because you can trust Donald Trump to put your interests ahead of the world, unlike the media. I mean, the, the ads write themselves. They do. I mean, the president can capitalize on the media hysteria over him. The president can capitalize on the media's fawning praise of Andrew Cuomo. The media wanted Donald Trump to shut the nation down, and when he refused, they attacked him. When he suggested a quarantine of New York City, they attacked him for saying the president has no power to do that, and they continue to lavish praise on Andrew Cuomo while thousands of Americans die in New York thanks to his and de Blasio's weak response. You can trust Donald Trump. You can't trust the media to give you a fair and accurate story. I mean, the the fawning praise of the media over Cuomo is probably one of the most laughable things I've seen in a while. Listen, the governor's had these great press conferences. He has these funny, funny rah-rahs with his brother, Chris, Chris Cuomo. There are other governors in this nation who have outperformed Andrew Cuomo, who will see fewer people die than Andrew Cuomo will see in New York. And yet he gets all the praise because he's in New York and he knows all the members of the media. And now he's under fire today for this. Uh, I've worked very hard with the president of the United States. We've had our political differences in the past, no doubt. But uh, there's also no doubt that I've worked hand in glove with the president here. And uh, he has been responsive to New York and responsive to New York's needs. And he's done it quickly and he's done it efficiently. I've literally had conversations with him in the morning where he turned around a decision by that afternoon. I've been in the federal government. I know what it's like to make a decision. Uh, and he has uh, really responded to New York's needs. So keep politics out of it. Focus on government and focus on policy. Keep government out of it. Focus on politics and focus on policy. And yet the media can't help themselves. And you know, they're, they're going to have him out there too pretty soon. But then there's the other thing. This is the other area where the president can capitalize on this. And and, and over to Bill Maher, whose show real time on HBO, I, I, I'm i on occasionally. They'll Well, they can't fly anybody out there right now, but we, we have bleeped the profanity because there's profanity. But it's worth playing this audio from Bill Maher, of all people, on HBO. And finally, new rule, you can't yell at someone for breaking a rule you just made up. Scientists, yes, scientists who are generally pretty liberal, have been naming diseases after the places they came from for a very long time. Zika is from the Zika forest, Ebola from the Ebola River, Hantavirus, the Hantan River. There's the West Nile virus and Guinea worm and Rocky Mountain spotted fever and of course the Spanish flu. MERS stands for Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. It's plastered all over airports and no one blogs about it. So why should China get a pass? Congressman Ted Lieu tweeted, the virus is not constrained by country or race. Be just as stupid to call it the Milan virus. No, that would be way stupider because it didn't come from Milan. And if it did, I guarantee we'd be calling it the Milan virus. Can't we even have a pandemic without getting offended? 
when they named Lyme disease after a town in Connecticut, the locals didn't get all ticked off. <laughs> Tick, ticked off. Seriously, it scares me that there are people out there who would rather die from the virus than call it by the wrong name. This isn't about vilifying a culture. This is about facts. This is about life and death. We're barely four months into this pandemic, <clears throat> and the wet markets in China, the ones where exotic animals are sold and consumed, are already starting to reopen. The PC police say it's racist to attack any cultural practice that's different than our own. I say liberalism lost its way when it started thinking like that and pretended that forcing a woman to wear this was just a different way instead of Showed an abhorrent of human rights violation. It's not racist to point out that eating bats is crazy. Is crazy, he, he said bat poop crazy. We'll stop there. Also, hat tip to my producer for cutting out all the profanity in that clip because there was some there. We were not playing those, but yeah, you get his point. Uh, th this is this is him. It is. It's it's amazing to me that the left is still on this whole politically correct nonsense uh, over Wuhan virus and the wet markets, and we can't say these things. China, you you know, so our Surgeon General in the United States is black. And he was talking to, particularly to young black men in a press conference, he was asked a question about the black community and the virus and essentially saying there are a lot of people not taking it seriously and they need to take it seriously and they need to stop with the drinking and the smoking and the drugs and they need to do it for the grandparents to keep their grandparents alive. And now he's being attacked. He was asked a question about the black community. He addressed it as a black man to the black community. And now he's getting attacked. Here is the conversation on MSNBC. Um, I think it's language that's steeped in racism. Uh, and yeah. while I will not necessarily call him the Surgeon General racist, because we don't need to get into that debate, what he is talking about uh, is essentially we need to take personal responsibility wholly for the consequences of this pandemic on our communities, which is entirely ignoring the systemic factors that have contributed to it and also, frankly, makes the entire community unsafe. Uh, I think we need to understand the character of this disease is one that is teaching us a lesson about how racism and white supremacy work in this country. We need to understand that white supremacy doesn't just hurt the communities which it marginalizes. It hurts the, you know, the white people who it claims to lift up and, uh, and, and prioritize. In this particular instance, we have a, a disease that is communicable, you know, whether or not you want to uh, blame African-Americans for their own plight. Uh, you need to understand that those uh, those folks can you know, spread it to uh, the very communities that you're seeking to protect with uh, with the Trumpian policies that uh, that this administration promotes. So I think we need to uh, really reevaluate the context of those comments and not necessarily worry too much about whether Jerome Adams, a person with pre you know, existing conditions himself uh, is uh, necessarily racist or not. He's black. The Surgeon General is. He, he's he's black. Uh, the only reason they're accusing him of using racist language is because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump has so thoroughly broken these people. When the Surgeon General of the United States, who is black, is asked a question about the death toll in the black community and what young black men need to do to stop the spread of the virus. And then he gets attacked for racism for answering the question as asked. And, you know, I guess that is the chief sin 
of the Surgeon General is that he dared to answer the question as it was asked. Now, I want to play one more clip for you because this just gets to the tit for tat out there right now. Uh, Don Lemon on CNN is one of the people who wanted a full nationwide shutdown. And now the president is talking about reopening the economy, which it's going to be on the governors to reopen the economy. It's going to be on the governors to let people out of their houses. They'll take some guidance from the president, but it's going to be on them. But Don originally wanted the federal government to shut everyone in their houses and was upset when the president did not do that. And now listen to this. Uh, John, you first. President Trump is looking ahead to his decision on when to reopen the, the economy and how soon to do it. Um, you know, he's called it the biggest decision of his presidency, but he doesn't actually have control of how this is going to go down. That's right. And, you know, he has said he's got economic advisors to listen to and health advisors, and he's going to listen to his own gut. But I'm not sure how much choice he actually has for a couple of overlapping reasons. First of all, it's one thing to blow off the warnings of public health officials when the danger is spreading beneath the surface but is not visible to the American people. It's an entirely different thing after 20,000 people have died. This has been the dominant news story for uh, six weeks and people are frightened. And when all the public health officials say it is not time to relax those guidelines from Anthony Fauci on down. Secondly, uh, as long as the public health officials feel that way, the public's going to be alarmed. Uh, We showed uh, uh, 60% of the people in the CNN poll last week said they would not feel comfortable removing, uh, resuming their normal routines uh, if they lift the guidelines at the end of April. And then third, uh, most of the economic activity in the United States takes place in these large American uh, metropolitan areas uh, that are governed and populated uh, by uh, preponderantly by Democrats. Yes, they're right. You got to have the local governments and the state governments reopen the economy, not the president. But only a month ago, they were saying the president could shut it all down. Let's, you know, this kind of goes to the back to the Tara Reid story of, of they, they wanted you to believe all women until an allegation was made against a Democrat. Now we don't need to believe all women, just just some. They wanted the president to shut the whole country down and he declined. And now. When the president wants to reopen everything, they're like, well, you can't do that. You, you, you can't do that. So he had the power to shut it down, but not the power to reopen it. What? what why? What? There, there's no intellectual consistency. The president of the United States could actually run his entire campaign for reelection on the fact that I am the only consistent person in Washington, D.C. He could actually do that. And he could use the media's own words against them to build the case that at least he is steady, consistent leadership. And you may disagree. I disagree. But he could do it because the media has been so all over the place. Uh, He does look like the steady hand. Whether you want to admit it or not, he does. Whether he is or not is irrelevant to the fact that he does. I'm getting yelled at by some people on social media for for daring to point out that that when you scream, well, the flu killed 60,000 people in the last flu season. And we didn't all shelter in place for that. Well, yeah, in two months, we've been sheltering in place, and this virus has already killed over 22,000 Americans, and everyone's been staying home, and yet 22,000 people have died in two months. Uh, You get the luxury of saying only 60,000 people died. This can't be as bad as the flu because we're all stuck in our house, and we're still dying at at, at, at obscene rates. More people have died 
every day from this virus than die typically on a daily basis from the flu in any given season. And, and yet you're going to say that this, is, this isn't this is as bad as the flu because not as many people are dying. Well, of course not, idiot, because we're all sheltering in place. But on a daily basis, more people in two months have died on a daily basis from COVID-19 than will die on a daily basis from the flu in a flu season. Yeah, all you got to do, this is the thing here. Just just look around you. Look, look and see what's happening. When is the last time Georgia had to build a field hospital at the Georgia Convention Center for the flu outbreak? When's the last time we had to build a field hospital for the flu in Georgia? The answer is we haven't, by the way. Uh, there, there was a global flu pandemic in 1957. Way more people died of the flu that year than in any year since. And we weren't overwhelming hospital capacity. We weren't building field hospitals. We weren't shutting down the world. You get the luxury of saying this isn't as bad as the flu. We should all come out of our houses because we are all in our houses and you yourself aren't going to get out of your house. You get to hide behind your keyboard and say the president should fire Dr. Fauci knowing he's probably not going to do it. Have, cons- have the people on the right, I'm not even going to say conservatives, just just people on the right, the, the president supporters, has it dawned on them that their, their statements are essentially undermining the president? They, they are essentially saying that the president of the United States is, is incompetent and he's being played by his advisors, that the president is wrecking the economy. That That's essentially the position these people are saying. I thought they were loyal to the president. Here's the reality. On a daily basis, more people are dying of COVID-19 than of the flu in any given flu season. And that's with all of us staying in our houses. This virus spreads more than the flu. Do you know the hospitalization rate for the flu is not 20%? It is for this virus. It's 20%. For people who get this, it's 20%. And that's confirmed cases. That's true. Confirmed cases. The odds are the mortality rate of this are less than 3%, probably about 1%, because there will be people who get it who never actually get the test. But of the people who get the test, 3.9% die in the United States, 3.5% in Georgia. Globally, it's about 4% die. And all of the experts, all of the experts on the right and the left who have looked at this disease have said this is worse than the flu. And people are going to die. The president's advisors say this. The Democratic challengers' advisors say this. The independent advisors say this. And, and yet we're supposed to listen to random dudes on Twitter. We're supposed to listen to conservative pundits as opposed to the experts. Listen, experts can be wrong. I, I, I'm not going to elevate experts over other people because a lot of times experts lose sight of common sense. And, and I agree. We got to reopen the economy and we should be doing it by May. But to say that we should be willfully blind to the opinions of experts and the data itself, all to scratch some itch that you know more than the experts, is absurd to me. It's obscene to me, and it's going to get people killed where the president to listen to him. I don't understand this movement to fire Dr. Fauci. Uh, he's a trusted voice, and he's got the president's ear, thank goodness.